night at 7. And I don't know, uh, I guess on Sunday nights that I'm not preaching, you all just left to figure out my mistakes for myself. But sometimes on, uh, when I'm preaching on Sunday night, I am reminded on Sunday morning afterwards about mistakes I made. Um, some pointed out that prudent, the word prudent, particularly deals with a wisdom that plans for the future. And so that is a good word in Matthew 25, not denying that is a good word. Uh, but the worst thing that I did allegedly this morning, and I'll take some people's word for it, where instead of contrasting the foolish with the prudent or the foolish with the wise, I contrasted the wise with the prudent. So, for cases where I did that, I am sorry about that. Um, so, I apologize. I thought about this passage in regard to um, Tony's announcement this morning about his personal health. We all face trials and setbacks, and they come to us at different times and different ways. And Job is a book that deals with these things very straightforwardly. Now, any kind of discussion of Job is very is going to be extremely brief, but I want us to look at a few things tonight about his suffering that hopefully help us in ours, whatever the form of suffering that we deal with. In Job 1, verses 1 through 5, the Bible tells us there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Blameless is a word that we encountered often today in 2 Samuel 22 in our Bible class out here. The word blameless, the word perfect, upright. Fearing God, the ideal description of a person in wisdom literature. They fear God and keep his commandments, as Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 says. Verse 2, seven sons and three daughters were born to him, and his possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it came about when the days of feasting had completed their cycle that Job would rise and consecrate them, rising early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according 
according to the number of them all. For Job said, my ha- perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did continually. So the text describes Job's family. Seven sons, three daughters. Seven sons and three daughters. And the Bible describes his possessions. It says in verse 3 that he was the greatest of the men of the east. And that term greatest is used in a material standpoint. From a material standpoint, it describes the richest of the men of the east. So here is a man with a big family, with great possessions. Everything in life seems to go his way. And Job is particularly concerned about his children and their spiritual condition. The Bible tells us that when they would hold a feast in the house of one of the brothers or the sisters, that the text tells us he would gather them together the next morning and offer burnt offerings for them. For he said, perhaps my son have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He was worried about the spiritual condition of his children and was concerned about being a spiritual leader for them. But all of this is about to change. In verse 6, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Put forth your hand now and touch all he has and he will curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. The sons of God appear before the Lord. The Satan appears among them. Much discussion could be given about that. But the Lord initiates this consideration of Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on all the earth, one that fears God, one who turns away from evil. And Satan says, does Job fear you for nothing? You put a hedge about him. You've allowed everything that he touches to turn to gold in effect. You put forth your hand on him and he will curse you to your face. What Satan is saying is there's nobody sincere. There's nobody real in their faith. Now, there may be times in life when someone that you put a lot of confidence in, a lot of trust in, disappoints you. 
and you will be tempted to ask the same question. But understand, one of the things the book of Job shows us is that some will serve God when all is taken away. When they lose their family, when they lose their wealth, when they lose their health. Doesn't mean that Job was always a patient sufferer, as we would describe patience, or a quiet sufferer, certainly not. But it does mean that he refused to give up on God. Put forth your hand Satan says, and he will curse you. And the Lord said, all he has is in your hand, but he puts limitations on him. Do not put your hand on him. Now we're about to see Job's disaster described. And as that disaster is described in verses 13 through 19, I want you to look for a couple of phrases. The phrase, I alone have escaped. That phrase will be used at the end of verse 15, 16, 17, and 19. Each of the servants is running with news of a disaster, a disaster of which he alone is the survivor. I alone have escaped to tell you. Another key phrase is the phrase, while he was still speaking. That phrase is used at the beginning of verse 16, verse 17, and verse 18. While one servant comes with news of a disaster of which he alone was a survivor, when he tells his story, before he finishes speaking, another servant comes with news of another disaster. Experiencing one calamity piled upon another like this is absolutely the seems to test the limits of human endurance and human faith. In verse 13, it happened on that day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house that a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them and the Sabaeans attacked and took them and they also slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. So Job has lost His 500 yoke of oxen and his 500 female donkeys. In verse 16, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. In verse 17, while he was still speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you, the man who is the wealthiest of the man of, men of the east has gone to poverty. In just a moment. But that is not the worst blow. In verse 18... While he was still speaking, another also came 
and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He has lost his donkeys, he has lost his oxen, he has lost his sheep, he has lost his camels. But what could prepare him for losing ten children in an instant? I want you to follow me on this point. And I will tell you, when I first heard it, I thought, that's foolish. When I looked into the text more closely, I thought, how did I miss that? One writer a few years ago said the text says nothing about the death of his children, about Job's children. This writer had proved himself right, even though he had made some shocking statements before. So I looked at the text a little bit more closely. In verse 19, when the text says the house fell on the young people and they died, that word translated young people is the same word translated servant throughout the text in verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17. What the text says is that the roof, the four corners of the house fell on the servants and they died. Now, I want you to understand what I'm saying. I am not denying that Job's children died. I am saying that news was so difficult that this servant cannot bring himself to tell it. He tells about the great wind in the four corners collapsing on the servants and they all died, leaving Job to infer that his children had died also. His news was too tragic to tell. Have you ever had to tell someone something that was so difficult that when it came the moment to deliver the news, You couldn't say it. I can't imagine what it would be like to get all of these messages back to back 
to back, to back, and to find out that you lost what was most precious to you in all of the world. And the Bible tells us in verse 20 that Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshiped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He rose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he goes through all the outward signs of grieving. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. I want you to notice there. And this touches upon something we will talk about. But he attributes not only giving but taking away to the Lord. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. When, when Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord, let me, let me hope I make this point well. Um, Isaiah, would you push that board forward for me and just let me make sure I get down my verses correctly because this is going to be easier to follow if you all have all the verses intact. Um, the Bible tells us that Job, Job says he offers a sacrifice, and he says, perhaps my, son, my sons have sinned, and they have cursed God in their heart. The Bible tells us in 1.9, Satan says to God, have you not put a hedge about him? You have uh, blessed all the work of his hands, and it says, if you take away that blessing, he will curse you, and he will die. He will curse you if you take away all these great blessings that you use. Now, in 2 verse 3, this is going to be uh, repeated, excuse me, in 2 and verse 5, in 2 verse 5. However, put forth your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. And Job's wife says in 2.9, why do you speak uh, or, or excuse me, Job's wife said to him, do you hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die? Now, 
I don't know how many of your translations actually point this out, but in all of these instances, all of these passages, the word curse is not the actual word in the original language for curse. It is the word for bless. Now, I can remember growing up in certain situations that blessed was still used, at least I heard it used occasionally, as a euphemism, as a less offensive word for the word curse. For example, our people say, oh, this person blessed me out when they were obviously meaning the opposite. And, and why is that euphemism used? There's, there's a question about that. We don't know with certainty the reason. Sometimes the Old Testament does talk about cursing God. This, this does appear in 1 Kings 21 when uh, Naboth is accused of cursing God or blessing God and the king. Some have said that scribes may have been too, they, they were reluctant to even write the words, curse God. They couldn't bring themselves to write it. And so they write the word, blessed God. Now, is that the reason? I don't know. Job's afraid his sons have cursed God. His wife will encourage him to curse God. Satan says if you do this to him, he'll curse you, but actually uses the word blessed. And when Job faces all these trials and difficulties, what does he actually do? He blesses God. He doesn't curse God. He praises God. Nathan the prophet tells David, you are the man. And because of your sins, these punishments will fall upon you. And the last of them is that the child born to Bathsheba will die. When the child becomes sick, David mourns, David fasts, he grieves, he lies upon the floor. His servants try to get him to stand up and go on with life. He will not. He continues to mourn. He continues to grieve. When he perceives his servants whispering, he thinks the child has died. And he asks, is the child dead? And they affirm, yes, he has. He gets up. He washes and anoints himself. And he worships. When his servants question him about his strange behavior, he said, while the child was alive, I had hopes that God would spare him. And, and, and I thought, who knows? God may be merciful to me. But now that he is dead, I cannot bring him back. He cannot return to me, but I must go to him. But he got up and he worshiped. Some 20 years ago, 
um, beyond that perhaps. When we were living in Tennessee, before we moved to Florida, I had come in from a Thursday morning class that we, we had um, and came in from the class and turned on the uh, new news for some reason, which I never did. But the lead story that day was a family in Columbia, Tennessee, who had lost everything through a fire. And as they were describing what they lost through the fire, the wife was doing most of the talking, and the husband uh, was standing by and added a word or two here or there. And they both were incredibly composed in this interview until the reporter asked the question, what did you lose in the fire? And the woman began enumerating some things that they lost in the fire. And you could almost see it on camera that she was becoming more upset and she was becoming more disturbed as it dawned on her how much they had lost. And the husband could see this too. And the husband put up his hand. And motioned for her to stop. And he looked at the camera. And he said, the Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He nodded to thank the cameraman. Put his arm around his wife. And walked off with her. Is that easier to admire than it is to live? Yes. As Tony said this morning, blessed be the name of the Lord. Some of you have lost family members. Some of you have experienced many difficulties recently. May God give us all the strength in the moment of crisis to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I sent this to Paul earlier this afternoon as one lesson. I think I'm going to have to break this up. And this doesn't tell you the whole story of Job, just stopping with Job 1. But I want you to consider this. And this is something that we want to revisit. Job feared God and walked with him. And he was so wealthy and so blessed. 
Was it fair for God to put him through all this? Was that, was that fair? God said to Satan in 1.12, all he has is in your power, only don't put forth your hand on him. In 2 verse 6, after Satan complains, oh, sure, he's not going to curse you because all that a man has, he'll give for his life. The Lord says, He's in your power. Only spare his life. God puts the limitation in 112, don't touch him. In 2.6, he puts the limitation, don't take his life. When God's son came into the world, perfectly sinless, God put no such limitations on him. God didn't say of Christ, Don't touch him. Don't take his life. God didn't put those limitations on the world's treatment of Christ at all. And so what I'm saying, it is difficult to deal with with the trials and struggles of life, it is difficult to experience what some of you all have experienced and are experienced, and it will be at times difficult for all of us to experience what we will encounter in life, and we will be led to question, is God fair? Is this right of God to let me experience this? But remember, What God in Christ has subjected himself to in coming to this world and died on the cross so that through him we might have life. All our experiences look different in light of his and his suffering. Lord willing, in the future, we plan to talk about Job 2, we plan to talk about a little about why Job suffered, about God and Satan's roles, and more emphasizing Job, a way to see Jesus and what he experienced for us. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God. It is you who have given and given and given of yourself. It is you who have given us every good thing we have. It is you who give. It is you who take away. Blessed be your name. Several here have dealt with the death of mothers, mothers in law, family members. Some are wrestling 
with health struggles. And some may have problems and difficulties that few of us know about. We take comfort in that you are God and that you love us and that you gave your son to die for us. And in the midst of the questions that we have in our mind, may our minds and hearts be continually taken to the cross to see the depth of your love and the depth of your suffering for us. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Suffering sometimes can serve as a megaphone to get the ears of a deaf world. And it can remind us of our greatest need to be right with God. And if you need that reminder, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, but you know your sin and you know how desperately you need his forgiveness... If you repent of your sins and are baptized into Christ, your sins are washed away. If you've done that and wandered away, but you need to pray and ask for forgiveness, we invite you to come or we can help you as we stand and as we sing.